If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to, to open with me to one of the minor prophets, Habakkuk. Uh, it's at the end of the Old Testament. The easiest way to find it is to start at Matthew and begin to, to work your way back. We're going to be in chapter 3. Oh, yeah. The kids are just Mr. Cove kids. Thank you. Uh, uh, the kids are just Mr. Cove kids at this time as we turn uh, to the Word of God in Habakkuk. We're going to be reading together uh, chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, just a couple of short verses. But uh, as Habakkuk kind of brings his uh, prophetic work to a close, he has a very specific word for us as the people of God, and, uh, and a guide for how we can, uh, we can dwell in His presence through uh, all adversity. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail, and the fields produce no fruit, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? God, we we pray that you would meet with us as we uh, study and learn from your word. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we would come to know and understand your word and indeed uh, your ultimate will. Open our hearts that we would feel its power. And by your grace, I ask, O God, that you would open our hands, that we would faithfully serve you and offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember in college, I was, uh, I was going through a little bit of a rough time. Uh, actually, I think that, that I was off and on in a rough season from, uh, from the end of eighth grade when my parents got divorced all the way through uh, to the first year of college. The first year of college was particularly tough because uh, I, I was trying to find my place and figure out if I had a place and and uh, didn't know if I was at the right school and doing the right things and, and uh, really just not, not finding myself at home in my own skin. And so, uh, so I remember uh, right in the winter, uh, I was in the Centenary College Choir and the choir had a, a winter formal. Uh, it was like our annual prom. I don't know why, because then we all had to get like dressed up. It would have been better if it was in shorts and flip-flops, amen? So uh, for some reason, we had a formal. We got all dressed up. We invited people to the formal. And, uh, and I invited uh, a friend from high school, actually. Uh, uh, her name is Jennifer, and Jennifer and I went, uh, I went, I drove to Houston, I picked her up, I drove her back to Shreveport, and uh, we had uh, an, an, an awesome weekend together. And uh, at the at the formal that night, uh, we were we were hanging out, and uh, a bunch of my friends were there, and Jennifer was kind of uh, doodling, and uh, and one of the things that that uh, that she doodled was the word joy. And then uh, later on in the weekend, she she colored the the word joy, and and it was like an explosion of color ringed out like it was vibrating out into uh into existence 
And, and I remember uh, it very well because I didn't have much joy in my life at that time. I, I felt uh, angst. I felt uh, some sadness, some uh, loneliness, some confusion. Those would have summarized my feelings on most days uh, if I was honest with you and with myself. But, but that word joy kind of just struck me. And, and so I took her doodling and I actually cut it out and I posted it in my dorm room. And I kept it, and every time I moved, it moved with me, and then it moved from office to office. Uh, and, and then this week, uh, I realized I haven't been in an office for, like, generations, right? Like, this is a new thing for me. I've been a pastor here at Covenant since 2011, and we have not had an office uh, for me to kind of set up as office since uh, until Easter. I, I came in the office on Tuesday morning, and uh, my sister Rebecca, she, she turned to me and said, it's moving day. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, remember, you, ne- you said you needed to move into your office. Today is the best day that we're going to get. You're going to move into your office. So she sent me home. I packed up stuff. And I moved all the stuff uh, into my office. And we got it set up, and I, I love it. It feels like, it feels, it feels good. Like, I got stuff on the walls. I got my desk all set up. I got my books on my bookshelf, so I'm not, like, having to go into multiple places in order to find them. It feels great. It feels at home. But there's one thing missing. That, that reverberating word to echo in my soul, to remind me in all things of joy. And so I began processing, where is this word joy? Where is this, where is this artistic image that my friend Jennifer gave me that I held on for years that I set up for an office after office after office uh, for, for seven, seven, eight years before I then entered into uh, portable settings where I didn't have an office. And then I remembered it's in like my, uh, my treasure box of old love letters Lauren and I sent each other. You know what I'm saying? In like the old pictures because we didn't have them digitally, like the physical pictures. It's in that box in my attic. So I've decided I need to go up and get it so that I could post in my office this word joy. Why is the word joy so important? Well, many of us have heard that, that, that uh, the song from our childhood, uh, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my Do you all remember that from VBS? And, and, and there was always the, the, the annoying kid or pastor who would say, where? Right, really loud. And then they all would say, down in my heart. Right, and so we would... We, we, we would just get really, really into it, uh, and, and that, sort of, uh, that sort of joy that, that then extended from, uh, from student to student and filling a room. Like, I remember, like, VBSs as children, and that song, like, changing my day, because I would show up uh, into a VBS saying, oh, I'm so grown for VBS, I don't belong here. But then, uh, but then we would sing the song, and it would, like, transform my morning. Why is joy so important? Some of us uh, also re- remember hearing a sermon at one point in time uh, where the pastor would tell you that, that, uh, that there's this like, broad distinction between joy and happiness. Have you ever heard someone articulate this to you, that there's a difference between joy and happiness, and, and joy is this one thing and happiness is this other, and, and actually joy is this good thing and happiness is this like, like temporary false thing. And, uh, and actually whenever I began preparing the sermon, that's what I was going to tell you. Uh, and then I studied the Bible a little bit and realized that that's not really what the Bible says. So that was a problem. Uh, so I'm not saying that any sermon that you've heard, uh, because I might have preached that sermon to you. If you've been here long enough, I might have actually told you that. And so if I told you that, I was wrong. 
Uh, it, it's not bad on me or bad on others. It, it's just not true. So I, I think about that childhood song, right? Got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Wear it down in my heart. Wear it down in my heart. And then do you remember the chorus? It says, and I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. The word joy and the word happiness there are actually used synonymously, connected to one another, uh, irrevocably uh, tied to, together. And, and I think that that's actually more of what the scripture and the tradition of our Christian faith is rooted in, that joy and happiness are actually synonymous. And, and, and sure that there, there's a false sense of joy. We'll talk about that in a little while. And there, there is a true deep sense of joy. We'll also talk about that. But, but, but whenever we're we're, we're honest with the scripture, honest with the word of God. Joy and happiness are tied together. They're not to be pulled apart. Actually, if you look at the, uh, the, the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 31, uh, the second half of verse 13, it says this, it says, uh, from the word of God, I will turn their mourning into gladness. Lots of other translations uh, say happiness there. I will turn their mourning into gladness and give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. You see how God even is articulating this vision that gladness, happiness, joy are all opposed to sorrow. They're all the substitute for sorrow along with comfort as well. And so these things, this, this idea that we're going to pull apart joy and happiness is, is a false construct. Actually, uh, you can't find uh, a Christian theologian that did this until... Uh, the early 1900s. And so we had uh, 1,900 years of Christian tradition before we, we decided that joy and happiness needed to be pulled apart. And, and I think it was because we understood that there was a false sense of joy and a true sense of joy. And we needed a way to articulate that. But we damaged the word happiness in the process. So it's okay to be happy. Happiness is good. So, um, so I want to turn to Habakkuk with you, and, and, and I want you to understand why we chose Habakkuk out of all of the joy scriptures uh, that we could have, have come to across uh, God's holy word. Uh, we, we chose to arrive in Habakkuk because Habakkuk deals with uh, maybe the most uh, pressing contemporary theological issue that we all wrestle with at one point or another, which is in a world where there is evil, injustice, oppression, sadness, sorrow, loneliness, isolation, in a world where that abounds, and it abounds in good people's lives, righteous people's lives, faithful Christians' lives, in, in, in a world where all of this takes place, how do we deal with, expect, come to understand that joy is still even possible? much less expected for us as Christians? That's, that's a question that we ask. And we wrestle with and we struggle with. And we particularly wrestle with it whenever bad things happen to us. Uh, whenever we're in circumstances that we can't control and we've arrived at, at this uh, impasse of, of circumstance and our faith is being tested and we, and we find ourselves in mourning and loss and we say to ourselves, how could this be? God, I love you. I'm faithful. I, 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 I surrender to you. And yet in the midst of my surrender, I find myself in pain. How am I supposed to find joy today? 
If you haven't asked that question, you will. And if we don't know what God's word offers us with hope and joy, then we will find ourselves debilitated. And there's a high likelihood that at least for a season, we will be in a deep, dark wrestling match with God. Wrestling with God's all right. We all need to do it sometimes. But sometimes we enter into that wrestling match knowing the outcome before we even get there. And the outcome would be a hope-filled joy. So we chose Habakkuk for that reason. Habakkuk, I'm going to just take you through like the quick arc of Habakkuk. I I challenge you, go home, read Habakkuk. You could be like, I read a book of the Bible. You're going to be so excited. It's going to be fantastic. Habakkuk is three chapters. It's literally going to take you 25 minutes to read uh, unless, uh, and that's if you're a slow reader as me. So you could do it. Go read Habakkuk. And uh, I think that it will find some some resonance with your soul. You'll understand uh, some of what uh, some of the reason why we chose Habakkuk. Uh, I'm going to open with uh, Habakkuk 1, verses 2 uh, through 4, so you, you get a, a grip on how, uh, how angst-filled and pain-filled uh, the prophet Habakkuk uh, was. Beginning in chapter 1, 2 through 4, Habakkuk says this, To God, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or cry out to you, violence, I see violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict. It abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him, the righteous, so that justice is perverted. You remember last week, uh, I, I, I mocked the prophets a little bit. This is a great opportunity for me to, to acknowledge uh, the, the mockery that, that, I, that I portrayed and say, yes, this is the kind of thing I was talking about, the darkness of prophetic literature. We're going to turn to the hope in a moment, and we're going to see how this turns, but, but, but Habakkuk is quite clear. He, he looks upon the world. He looks upon everything that he sees. And all he sees is evil and pain and injustice and oppression. And, and all of that just, just, just disturbs him. And so he lives in a state of disturbance and could not figure out how God is in the midst of all of this. And, and I want to say, brothers and sisters, this, this is uh, a, a heightened reality for us, isn't it? If any of you are foolish enough to put the news app on notification status on your phones, you will know what I'm talking about, right? Because, because in the world of news, what is news uh, worthy? Well, what actually gets the most clicks? What actually gets the most money for the news organizations? Bad stuff, right? The worse it is, the more money they make. Boy, when things are good, they don't make any money. But when things are bad, they make lots of money. So they want to tell you everything bad in the world. And in an instant news world with social media and fingertip, uh, fingertip web access, we now know when something bad happens in Paris or in the Philippines, when people in Hong Kong are gassed with tear gas, We know when there's a a shooter uh, in Paris, 
All of these things, boom, and it's to our phones before we even know it. We, if, if we have those notifications on, like it will buzz us and we'll look at it and be like, oh, right? So how does one today, when we are more aware of all of the injustice in the world than any generation before us, find rest and joy? You see, these external factors, they're, 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 they're cooking us like a pressure cooker. If you have an Instapot, you know how, how those things work, and then you, like, it, it's, it finishes its cooking time, and you want to open it and turn it, but you can't because there's so much pressure, pressure built up. And then, then you could push, put the release, so then all the pressure will leave so that you could open it up. How do we relieve this pressure that we have building up in us and that Habakkuk felt building up in him as well. So we're going to look at the response, what, what response God had to Habakkuk. So in chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, uh, God uh, offers a word of hope, a word of the future for Habakkuk. And here's what he says. God says, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. By the way, if, if you do have your Bibles and you have a pen, I'd invite you to underline the revelation and and, and individually think upon how that connects to Jesus because I think God is good and fulfills his prophetic word in and through Habakkuk. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it, though it linger, wait for it. Wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. Other versions say he is proud or look at the proud. He does, his desires are not upright, but, but the righteous, the righteous will live by his faith. The righteous will live by his faith. His faith, uh, the faith uh, in Jesus, the faith in the revelation, the faith of the one that will come. Uh, those that live uh, in the faith of Jesus, they will be proved righteous. What is it for us to not live by sight or by those things that influence us from the outside, but to live with a resolve in our soul of what is true and what is good and what is holy? What is that of Jesus that sustains us in all things? And then Habakkuk, Habakkuk has a response to God in chapter 3, verse 2. Uh, something that, that, that you might have uh, said to yourself uh, or a prayer that I would invite you to pray. I think it's a good, holy, and faithful prayer because Habakkuk says to the Lord, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I've heard of all of, uh, of uh, the, all, I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. I've, I've heard of all the things that you've done, all the ways in which you've performed miracles, all the ways in which you've sustained your people, delivered your people from captivity uh, and bondage, and now I, I, I hear of those things, but what I do now is I ask, oh God, that you would renew them in our day, in our time, make them known, in wrath, remember mercy. You see, Habakkuk calls upon the Lord and says, do it again. Do it again. Where there is injustice, pain, evil, oppression, where, 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 there, where there is bondage and slavery, 
Do it again. Deliver again. Make way again. Offer hope again. Offer mercy again. Do it again. We need it today. We need it today as much as they needed it then. We need it today uh, so, th- so that we might, be, uh, we might be convicted and convinced the same way that those of old were. And do it again. Generations might go by where, uh, where they don't acknowledge what you're doing in their midst, but we will. If you do it again, God, we, we, we will acknowledge you in all of your ways and we'll give you thanks and praise. Habakkuk has this good, honest, faithful prayer that acknowledges need, acknowledges the reality of his circumstance, but then invites God in to transform that space. What does joy have to do with this? In the scripture we read this morning that we started with in Habakkuk chapter 3, he's really honest about what's going on. You know, uh, in Israel, there's a couple of crops that they're really famous for. They're famous for figs, they're famous for for olives, they're famous for grapes. Uh, It's not a bad start, right? You get some olive oil. You get some, uh, you get some wine, uh, and uh, it's not, it's not a, a bad thing, and a little sweet with the fig jam. Anyone, anyone ever had fig jam? Fig jam's the best. So, but Habakkuk says there's none of it. All of the things that we depend on, all of the things that we've grown accustomed to, all of the things that we know our land is, is designed in the very uh, essence of its promise, that this is the promised land. None of it bears fruit. There aren't, any, there aren't even any sheep. There aren't even any cattle. None of it. We are empty. We are empty. And then profoundly, Habakkuk offers a word of, of transition. It's at the very beginning of verse 18. You know, all of Habakkuk's only through chapter 3, verse 19. And at the beginning of verse 18, we have the turn. And it says, yet. Yet. Even when everything is against me. Even when everything is against us, even when we can, can see no glimmer of light or of hope, yet, yet, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord and be joyful in God my Savior. Yet I will rejoice. Yet there is joy. For us, there's there's. There's an even clearer opportunity to receive this enduring, persevering joy into our heart and let it be a fruit by the Spirit through us out into the world so that people will be confused and dumbfounded at how God was able to accomplish that kind of joy in us. And it's through the gift we have in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, in, in, in the Gospel of John 15, he articulates to his disciples this, this vision of, of the future. And he, he tells uh, his disciples what is going to come. And it's right as he's also telling of the Holy Spirit. But he says this, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I think this is the key to it all. 
Brothers and sisters, you see, uh, we on our own have a partial, incomplete joy. A partial, incomplete happiness. Uh, On our own, were it for external and internal pressures, we would only be joyful sometimes and in some ways. But Jesus says this, Jesus says, I I I have joy. I have this deep residing, uh, unstoppable joy that's going to last from generation to generation. And he's saying this as he's about to go to the cross. He knows that he's about to be crucified and die. And yet he has this joy. And he says, I'm giving this joy to you so that it will then sit inside of you. And your joy that once was partial is now complete. It's now entirely full so that no matter what happens in the world around you or in your own life, you can rest in the goodness and joy of Jesus and say, I can face this. I faced it before and people before me have have gone And they know the joy of the Lord, and I can know the joy of the Lord as well, from generation to generation. So I know on a day like yesterday, when we we look at Hurricane Dorian bearing down on the United States, and we wonder, is it going to hit Florida, or is it going to hit Georgia, or is it going to hit the Carolinas? What are they going to experience? It's a Cat 5, or it's a Cat 4 becoming maybe a Cat 5, and we think about our experiences here on the Gulf Coast, and we think about Katrina, and we think about about Rita, and we think about Ike, and we think about Hurricane Harvey even hitting this community, and we wonder, how is joy possible on this day? And we think back to what happened just a couple of years ago, and we say, I saw joy in Hurricane Harvey. Harvey. I don't know about you, but I saw it. I saw it all over this community. 463 homes in our community flooded, and yet when we went out in the midst of the community and we offered grace, hope, love, I saw joy on the homeowners' faces. I saw joy on the servants' faces. I saw joy in a community that came together because joy was not stoppable because that joy came from Jesus. Do you understand that? On a day like yesterday, Whenever your news broke on your phone and you saw that there was a shooting in Odessa, some guy cracked. He was pulled over by a state trooper, popped off on him, went on a shooting spree, driving. It didn't seem like it was planned or calculated or anything, and we wonder, oh my God, where are you? I feel lost. I feel alone. I feel afraid. I don't know how this can be. Where are you in the midst of it? And yet we think, time and time again of how the Lord has restored and bound up and healed and entered into community after community that have endured this and showed them a way of peace that was rooted in the joy that we have in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, there is a world full of incomplete, partial joy. Some of us have lived that. Some of us are living that today. I ask you to call upon the Holy Spirit and say, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me and grant me joy that comes in Jesus and only in Jesus. Transform my heart so that no matter what may come, I may experience an eternal Everlasting, entirely complete joy. And then let that joy be the fruit of your life, for a harvest is needed. 
we need to be instruments of joy so that others would see it in us and yearn for it and see Jesus at work in their lives and then have their joy be complete as well. That's the answer, brothers and sisters. It always has been. It always will be. Jesus. Jesus gives us joy. Jesus offers joy to the world. May something powerful and profound, a harvest of righteousness, a harvest of joy, start with you in this community. Would you pray with me? God, we long for your joy. We yearn for it. We need it. We ask, gracious Father, that you would reveal to us the ways in which we experience a, a, a longing for joy, a yearning for joy, and we ask, God, that you would meet us by the power of your Spirit and the presence of your Son, Jesus Christ, with joy, even in this very moment of silence. Lord, we, we thank you for the joy we have in your son, Jesus Christ, that makes our joy complete. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.